Welcome to Alchemy of Housing Justice, a podcast where we explore the collective magic we need to reimagine our housing future. I'm your host, Sarah Hunter, and here we are learning together in another episode. This week, I've been thinking a lot about trees. I've been reading a book about the interconnectedness of them, the ways trees talk to one another. But the part I think is relevant to our conversation today is the natural design of the tree, the way it grows from a seed into a giant structure where the strength lies at the bottom in the roots that are larger than the branches and they're underground and unseen. That the power of the structure is not solely, but is predominantly there. And this design gives it the capacity to stay sound in the changes of seasons and through tumultuous weather. And I'm thinking about how in like community organizing and in the pursuit of community ownership, we have to be like trees. So that's the imagery we'll start with today. And as always, you know, while the stories and concepts we will talk about today will be grounded in the pursuit of housing justice, we recognize that all justice is interconnected. And we're starting from the belief that it will require many strategies and tactics to find our freedom. And our journey together will explore these set of tactics that we're seeing emerge as we stand alongside people, communities, and movements working toward housing justice. In this episode, we'll be diving deep into the idea of community ownership as a path toward housing justice. We'll talk about the ways in which community ownership is the root system of housing justice, and the way that rooting in community ownership gives us the platform we need to grow transformed structures that give us what we need as people to thrive. And what I love about this conversation is that we're starting with intimacy as the seed that allows these roots to grow and develop. The idea about community ownership doesn't come from us. Yes, we've experienced the power of community and of people coming together to make impact. But this idea of community ownership is actually one that comes from some municipal partnerships with communities that are focused actually on racial equity and environmental justice. The author of this work is Rosa Gonzalez, and her organization is called Facilitating Power. And the tools um, that have been developed that we sort of learn this language from were developed in partnership with Movement Strategy Center. The work there outlines a developmental spectrum of partnerships between public decision-making and impacted people and communities. And it's a spectrum that on, on the one most sort of undeveloped side is like a one-way transmission of information from the system to the community. And then you have on the other side, which is like the more most developed side, you have true democratic participation and equity where people working within systems and with community members experiencing the systems are truly making decisions collaboratively. And when in doubt, the expertise of the community is deferred to in the end. And that, uh, or like this deference to partnership with community, this way of sort of having community ownership is what I think a really close proximity to what we're imagining as justice. And then when I think about what it takes to get there to community ownership, or like the idea of community ownership to be community owned in a process to have decisions made that way. I think of another organizer, um, Steve Williams, and he comes to my mind. His work called Demand Everything, he writes that, quote, transformative organizing is defined by its explicit intention to transform both the systems and the individuals engaged in those campaigns in an effort to win genuine liberation for all. And like that quote might, may actually sound like a familiar refrain from our first episode, if you remember, in our conversation about Grace Lee Boggs, where we talked about transforming ourselves to transform the world. 
It's growing new roots, right? It's changing ourselves as actors in the process. It means I can't cling to the ways I've always thought things should be. I have to be open to new and different ideas and opinions and trust and believe that my way isn't always the way. And that's where intimacy comes in as an opening, a way to make relationships more meaningful and powerful. It gives us nourishment and the nourishment we need for these new roots to grow. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about how intimacy in the service of community ownership is in the service of housing justice. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of being joined by the one and only Whimsy Ha. I think the first ever real conversation I had with Whimsy also started as a conversation about intimacy, so it's no surprise that that's where we'll start today, too. Whimsy is a trans, non-binary, Vietnamese, Asian-American diagnosed with HIV who has gone through experiences of unstable housing and forms of homelessness. Her hope and dream is to live in a peaceful, tranquil world with a sense of understanding and acceptance of oneself and of other folks. She's really big into discovering what it means to practice self-care. She's a stoic philosopher and works to create spaces for you to be you in the practice of love. And I have experienced all of those parts of Whimsy, and I'm so grateful to know and learn from her. And I am so excited to bring her into this conversation. Welcome, Whimsy. Thanks for joining us. So glad to have you with us. Oh, absolutely, Hunter. And it's a joy and a pleasure to be here within a space and, you know, being your guest here in today's podcast episode. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to go in depth conversation and discuss why intimacy plays a crucial world in terms of like community ownership and how it leads up to housing justice. All right. So let's get into it with the first question. This one's kind of a softball for you because it's like square in the heart of like every experience I've had with you, Whimsy. Why is intimacy so central to being authentically community led? Oh. That's a great starter question, Hunter. And um, to answer that is that, you know, intimacy is what helps cultivate deep, meaningful bonds and relationships, right? And intimacy is a lovely bridge and gateway to establish that rapport and healthy mutual relationships, right? And, you know, it all starts with ourselves as individuals, Right, what it means to be authentic and cultivating that sense of intimacy, right? So, the way I see intimacy is that it's built up into various building blocks to create and establish intimacy. For example, um, in order to be intimate, one must feel safe, right? Feeling safe to be themselves, being honest being able to communicate and having that sense of trust, understanding and being affectionate and compassionate along the way. And with that, we're able to be more present amongst ourselves and those around us. Because it's like, how else can we build something that's aligned towards our vision goals if we don't have any of that, right? So. What, one of the things I've heard you talk about before, Whimsy, is um, 
it, you you touched on it just for a second, right? About um, sort of safety and how intimacy and safety sort of go, you know, help reinforce one another. And you've talked before about sort of nonviolent communication as a pathway to some of that. I'm I'm interested in how you think nonviolent communication is also a part of this equation. Yes, nonviolent communication also plays a role and safety and intimacy. Because like, if we do not feel safe in like a given circumstances or environment, then we'll feel reluctant to participate, engage, right? We'll most likely disengage and go towards something that feels safe, right? And that's it also plays the importance of why it's crucial to have safe spaces to cultivate, you know, healthy communities as a whole collective. Because if the whole group as the individual doesn't feel safe, then it's safe to assume that most of the collective will also feel safe, unsafe as well. Um, and without that, then it's just like a domino effect, right? You know, just being ourselves and having that rapport and being able to participate and having that sense of belonging amongst each other. The word that's coming to mind for me is also like trust. And I want to hold to that, like, it's not always possible to... um to always create safety. There are times when that's not totally possible, but there's an element of trust and like sort of regard for one another's safety. That's a part of, um, a part of intimacy that isn't, we don't always get to feel safe, but we might trust the people we're in relationship with to try to hold our safety and that as a value and, and having sort of nonviolent communication strategy as or, or communication tactics as sort of part of what it means to to get there. Um, I think the way I've heard you sort of talk about this before is um, also that um, sort of that nature of the interpersonal connectedness of of intimacy as well, right? Like there's this like you, we it doesn't allow us to be humans that aren't in relationship with humans. The, uh, the humans around us and um and i've watched you sort of navigate rooms and in those ways with those values i'm curious if you have any experiences of like how you've brought intimacy into um some like community work in the past that you'd want to call in here yes absolutely hunter and and um it's i believe that it's to be able to be intimate also cultivates a hospitable environment, right? And like folks being able to express themselves as they are and meeting where they're at in life and accepting them, yeah, just as they are as a person, loving on them as they are as a person and, you know, and just know that with our shared values, we are we are pretty much like-minded individuals, you know, as we go along with the process. And I love to make sure that folks are comfortable with being themselves, right? You know, no need to like, you know, co-switch or like put up a facade, you know, to like pretty much like 
sacrificing their own individuality to, you know, please other folks, you know, like pretty much like how other folks once have like an image of how they want to be perceived. Yeah. Like, and just like acknowledging that. And it's like, just being you, you know, just creating space for yourself and those around us. And I cherish that because as a transgender person, you know, it's just, you know, it just plays a crucial role of just what it means to be authentically you and just acknowledging that that is more than enough and just being, you know, and if other folks say otherwise, well, I guess they don't deserve your goodness, right? Because like, Mm. in a way, like, Mm -hmm. when it comes to, let's say, you know, because in a nutshell, like, as human beings, we yearn to feel a sense of belonging, acceptance, right? And it also establishes and create gateway opportunities to what it means to establish that sense of self, that self-esteem, and being comfortable within our own shoes, regardless how other folks may perceive us, whether it be good or bad, it's hard to say. You You just said you know, when you're, when it's not safe, they don't deserve your goodness. I mean, that is, that is like, so like showing up as your most authentic self in a way that's like, yeah, like if, if they don't treat me right, they don't deserve my goodness. Like that is the shit. And also like, in a way, like, it's like a reframe, right? It's like not saying how like, yeah, pretty much saying how even when folks appears to reject us, let's say that they can't afford our our value, who we are as a person, mm-hmm. you know? And if they can't afford that, then go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And also, like, acknowledging that, like, you know, because life is too short, yeah. right? And it's too short to sacrifice our sense of self to please other folks, you know? Because I believe that whole purpose of living our lives is to find out who we are and being just freely embracing our truths. And ain't no one like that other Mm -hmm. than yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And and, uh, it can be a hard pill to swallow, swallow or come to terms with that. Because, you know, I'm sure that folks have been like, you know, their upbringing and their conditioning says otherwise. Yeah, I mean, you also introduced a concept here that was like very striking to me where you on the front end of this, you just said, you know, like sometimes people don't have enough in their bank to to buy your value in some ways. Right. Like they don't sometimes for whatever reason, someone can't show up with the kind of. um relationship that I need because my value is worth more. That's no shade on them. It's just they don't have it. They don't have the the amount to bring to this to this part of it, right? So they don't have an out, the amount to bring to my value. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna kind of leave it at that. And like our our work together is um in service of sort of understanding and naming those things and also um like it not necessarily being bad that someone can't show up with that or assigning that kind of value to it. It's more like 
this isn't the fit right now, right? And we need to find folks that fit. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's like not forcing things, you know, allow things to ebb and flow. Because if it feels forced, then it's like, in a way, we're trying to control what, you know, the situation, you know, it's like trying to, you know, manifest our, you know, our fantasies, ideal ideals about a certain relationship. When on hindsight, it's just not clicking, you know? And yeah, just like, it's, I believe that relationships are meant to just ebb and flow as they come and go, right? And that's just part of life. And just accepting that and acknowledging things that, you know, that's, you know, in our control and in things that are not, right? And, you know, because, you know, this brings a lot of, it just like brings a lot of peace of mind when it comes to terms with that, to like acknowledging, you know, those distinctions and boundaries. And, yeah, just at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I love you as you are, right? And even if we're separate, and we're not talking and connecting. I still love you and still create space for you and, you know, wish the best for you and your merry life, right? With the best intentions possible within my heart. Um, and, you know, just like hoping and that they will feel that, you know, feeling honored within, you know, that environment or having a healthy support system that sees your worth and value as you are right and yeah just accepting all the goodness you know as like the good or bad you know accepting all of it because it's part of our humanity and in this part right like this this way of sort of showing up in relationship to one another and thinking about how we're in relationship to one another, it's the part that makes things like principled struggle possible, right? It's the part that makes things like um, having conflict over ideas about like what, what, what we should or shouldn't be doing together as sort of the, the sort of work boulder we're trying to push up the hill. When we have conflict on those things, it's much easier to be in, in that conflict in ways that aren't, um, violent or in ways that aren't um, aren't like that in ways that are getting us to a solution through that conflict as opposed to pushing us to our edges and the way that happens is is in the way that you're talking about right it's like not actually about a knowledge of a topic it's actually about having the ability to be in relationship with one another in ways that I can respect your full humanity and also disagree Exactly. And, and disagreements are healthy. And it's a part of our growth. And like I said, our humanity, right? You know, it's like, it's not like we can agree on everything in, in an ideal world. Yes. And at the same time, that's not reality. Because, you know, imperfection is reality, while perfection is a myth. And boom. <laughs> So we're going to we're going to pivot a little bit and and pivot to a conversation about how intimacy really plays into community and groups. 
So the first part of the question here is, you know, what does it look like or what does it feel like when groups or communities are act actually and authentically holding intimacy in the ways we've just talked about as as sort of a community value? And and then what does it mean for how we show up to work, like quote unquote work differently to drive towards being community owned? What are your thoughts on those things? Oh, that's a wonderful question, Hunter. And what it means to show up ourselves and practice intimacy you know, from an individual level to a group level is, you know, it's tr transferable, right? As like, you know, having cultivated the hospitable environment where folks feel like they could just be their authentic selves and to be able to participate and engage into whatever activities that we get to do. Right. And it's like, you know, being a part of a community owned environment or community is that where folks feel heard and seen. Right. To acknowledge their being and their existence and be like, hey, like, thank you for being who you are and showing up to the space. Around and cultivating sharing that moment and experience together because it ain't like no other, right? And, you know, it's like coming to like, you know, perspective and hindsight. It's like, what are the odds to be able to be together within the same room or space and doing the things that we get to do as a community? And out of all the billion folks out there in the world, it's like, whoa, what are the odds, the chances? And it just, you know, acknowledging that and just bringing more in-depth appreciation and gratitude for this moment that we get to share, right? And yeah. The, the, the like, the shared experience part of it totally resonates for me of that you know, almost in the way that you think about sort of shared experience as family, like, or like a family has shared experience, right? And thinking about community work and group work as family or as people that you're intimate, like you care about in ways that allow you to have different kinds of conversations together or that, that are like, you know, no matter what, I'm by your side kind of a thing, right? That, I mean, not no matter what, we just talked about there are times when that's not true. But for the most part, it's like, oh, I'm a brother's keeper too, right? Like I'm I'm someone who's going to, um, like as a part of this group, as a part of our values, we're going to lean into that like more of a family style relationship with one another um, so that we're, we're um, bringing everyone around and along. And there's like a... I was trying to think of the quote, but I couldn't get it to come to my mind. But there's, it feels like there's a quote that maybe like Jonathan used to use, or if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Or something like that. That's the that's the essence of that quote, right? And there's like there's like the power of that togetherness and the power of family. And that that quote actually reminds me of um, of the like the concept of pace and how important it is to you know, my experience, a lot of like professionalized settings and, you know, you and I, we like joked about this at the beginning of this like conversation 
before we ever started recording, right? Which is that like sometimes we're back to back and stuff, but we go so fast because we the things are so urgent or important and and we don't pace ourselves in ways that um actually give us the ability to to hold that intimacy and the things that get lost are somatic, right? Like in our bodies, in our breathing, um, in our ability to actually hold space with one another. Um, and those feel to me like also the parts of what it looks and feels like as a community value to hold intimacy, to hold intimacy as a group. Do those Does that spark, do any of those parts spark anything for you, Whimsy? They sure did, Hunter. And, you know, I love how you touch base upon that. And the first thing that popped into my mind is you know, the importance of incorporating mindfulness activities into the group, right? Mindfulness as in what that means for me is to be present at this given moment and embracing as it is and being openly willing enough to accept things as they are, as they come and arise within our lives. And what it means to take a moment for ourselves to take a breather, process, and to respond, right? And with that, it becomes more intentional into the things that we get to do within our lives, whatever that may be, right? And that's why I enjoy breathing exercises or meditation because, you know, for the most part, it doesn't take that much to meditate, right? To breathe, which is a blessing over here. Like, it's a blessing to breathe to begin with because we don't know when we're going to have our last breath, right? <laughs> oh, <Truth>. gosh. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're, you're talking about it in terms of mindfulness and, and in, in meditating. And, you know, another word for that is grounding, right? Another word for that is, is being grounded and feeling grounded. Um, you know, and I just, just calling in sort of the analogy at the top of this podcast too, of what it means to be rooted and to feel rooted and to have roots that are the thing that, uh, that keeps us safe in the storm or the thing that keeps us able to sort of weather the seasons, you know, change seasons, like all of that, right. That, that mindfulness and, and meditation and groundedness are parts of how we do that. And we have to do that in community in addition to doing that um, as individuals if we're going to stay rooted. And I love how you are bringing back the tree analogy, Hunter, because you know, I see as the roots as the community, right? Mm -hmm. And nurturing that and cultivating those roots and just know that it's innate, right? It's, you know, even if, let's say, we're going through, like, a rough time, let's say, a storm, it too shall pass because we're in it together. And, you know, being having that sense of grounding will be able to 
build upon that trust and resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. yeah, and it's just like we're here together. We have each other's backs, and and um, if like, and we could just learn with each other and amongst one another and grow you know mm-hmm. and the one one other part that really resonates for me here is that like it's terribly difficult to feel to be vulnerable in um in the practice like to actually practice groundedness mindfulness meditation and the vulnerability that that takes when we're not able to hold intimacy with one another in the group. So like those things are like reinforcing of one another in the way that relationship and like they're necessary for one another. It's like we need them as part of the circle in order to keep, keep all of our sort of well-being and the like pursuit of justice moving forward. Right. And also to like what it means to be vulnerable and to lower our defenses and walls. And, you know, it also mm-hmm. touches back into when the building blocks of intimacy is feeling safe, right? Yep, and yep. if we don't feel safe, then we're most likely to be defensive, right? More skeptical and less likely to share and disclose our valuable point of view and perspectives um, and sharing our ideas, our dreams and aspirations, right? To be able to have that sense of connectedness and knowing that and acknowledging that you two are not alone. We're in it together, right? And it makes things less scary when it goes to like navigating through this world that we know as it is at this moment. Yeah, because the unknown, that's it's it it's terrifying. Um, and it just feels more comforting to walk paths with other folks who you know that will be there for you and for each other. Right? Yep. I mean, back to that quote, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together, right? Like it it feels it it feels so like it feels like it's all tied up together. All right, so now, right here we are making the translation from intimacy into being community owned and community led, and and on the way to housing justice. So this last question really is, um, how does all of this invoking intimacy in community process on the way to being community led? liberate our housing policy and programs or lead us to housing justice specifically? What does it have to do with housing? Let's tie it in there and and into housing policy and housing justice. Yes. Um, We're going to it, y'all. Okay. And how intimacy plays a, a major role in aspects when it comes to practicing and establishing housing justice as a whole is that it takes a whole village to make systematic changes, right? And 
as a whole collective, we're able to ruffle the feathers and reestablish and rebuild these new policies that are in favor of equitable housing opportunities because it's a damn birthright, (laughs) right? Period. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it takes a whole village to make those major strides and to make a mark, a legacy and those achievements, accolades and accomplishments as together as a whole, like pretty much like, Imagine, like, yeah, like a whole crew of, like, a ship sailing to our destination. And with that, it just sparks, you know, it's like a chain, like a domino effect, right? And just, like, leading by example and demonstrating and just being that. Mm -hmm. And it just shows that, like, to other folks out there that it is a possibility. It is and can be our reality that we get to share and create and establish, right? Because, like, that's how I believe that, like, with these shared values, it just brings people and folks together to, you know, changing laws and policies you know, that are aligned with our values and our self-interest. Self-interest in terms of things that are beneficial for us in the long term without exploiting or trampling other folks along the way. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I also, I think about um, the way I've gotten to know you, Whimsy, is through, um, is through work together in LA around this question of like what does housing justice for young people look like in in Los Angeles and you know there there are very few conversations that we have that are like directly about housing right and like almost by design it's like housing is housing is the thing you take care of when you see a whole person or when you understand the the um the that are that we live our lives as whole people that live in homes that need homes to thrive and that it's not always where we start but it is where we're go- where we're going and um and you along with the other sort of members of the youth cohort and just sort of the members of the community that have been jogging um jogging toward um, having like a youth youth ownership in this space in LA, you know, what's super striking to me is that exactly what you were just saying is like, there, it doesn't, it doesn't, those conversations are rarely specifically about how you provide a homeless service, right? That gets, that gets like engaged in, in some way or some level, but, and that's of course important and a part of what it is that we're talking about but the only way we get to really transform how those things happen is if we're in this relationship with one another in ways that hold these these very complex aspects of ourselves and the ways we make decisions to be able to make decisions about those things differently. Is that track? Yes, it does track, Hunter. And and um just having that and cultivating that those relationships because that's how it all begins it's with each other 
you know, and cultivating, creating, establishing that culture where it embraces all folks' perspectives and viewpoints, especially young folks, right? You know, because, you know, they're going through the meat of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like being heavily impacted. And, you know, it's pretty much young folks is our pretty much like a representation of hope Mm-hmm. And our lives and mm-hmm. future generations of our future. You know, mm-hmm. there are building blocks, right? Because yes. without young people, then, you know, how can we prepare and set them up for success? You know, their version of success, if we don't establish and meet where they're at to get their needs met, you know? And it's just like, you know, all sorts of opportunities, I believe, will be missed out. You know, because let's say like a person, you know, has all these brilliant life-changing ideas and, you know, their talents, whatever crafts they are naturally just innate to them. And they aren't able to tap into that because they are lacking housing services, right? Mm -hmm. That's like, yeah, they're pretty much in survival mode. And um, and that's the goal is to have folks to be, you know, living life as it is and to thrive. Yeah. Yeah, I think about the um, the what keeps coming to mind is like we get like people in professionalized settings in this work get uh get really fixated on the what like what's the solution what is the thing we do. And I think what what this conversation is is sparking for me and like, you know, throughout the whole time that we've talked today um, is like, is, is we have to hold the relationship between the how with the what constantly. Like that thing, we can't trade one for the other. We can't say we know what to do, but we don't know how to do it. And the how we're talking about here is actually like community-led, intimacy-led work we're like naming that thing as the value and the way and we have to have tangible practice of like what does that mean to get implemented in terms of um in terms of what it is that we're trying to like literally change in in our housing and homelessness systems what we actually want to be different and that the the real like the tension we experience all the time and i think we're experiencing we'll start to experiencing much more we'll start to experience much more in LA is um, folks are like, yeah, 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 but let's get to the stuff, right? And it's like, well, we are getting to the stuff. Actually, this is the stuff because it allows us to show up differently to actually solve for the things. And and young, and and you can't, um, my experience is that like most many adults uh, in the context of adultism Many, um, many white folks in the context of white supremacy, but other folks in the context of white dominant culture and white supremacy show up thinking, I already know all the things, we just have to do them. And I think what this, what, what intimacy and community ownership gives a, a platform and a structure for is saying we don't actually all collectively know the thing. We have to, we have to dream it together and dreaming it together 
isn't possible if we can't actually be our most vulnerable selves together. And to do that, we need to create this like version of intimacy. That part. Well, Whimsy, it's time to to wrap up our conversation today. But I, um, you know, as always, I think in every every time that I get to hang out or chat with you, I feel like uh, it just feels right. <laughs> it just feels like it feels like we're like we're doing something that is like meaningful and important to those, you know, like to what you said is um, our valuable and limited breath. Right. And um, so I just want to say very much that I appreciate you for um, the way that you show up every day, but also for lending your um, brilliance and um, wisdom and, and expertise to this conversation about uh, intimacy and, and community ownership and, and housing justice. Thank you. It has been an honor and a pleasure to be a part of each other's experiences together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just part of the new building blocks, you know, of how to create change mm-hmm. is by trying and starting, right? And if we don't try, then how else can we know? Yeah, and just by trying and and having that, acknowledging that we do have this innate sense and quality of courage to help travel through the depths of the waters of the unknown, um, and yeah, just like embracing and facing our fears together, and you know having these talks and conversations also brings light to things, you know, that aren't, you know, normally are talked about. Right. It's like, yeah, just like revealing things that has been shoved underneath the rug, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like revealing, it's like, Hey, like it's been there this whole entire time. Like it appears to be hidden, but that's not the case in reality and you know i appreciate you for the work that you get to do and that you're doing now because i believe that it does have innate value in itself and that's just more than enough mm. right and you know may there be many more opportunities like this to come and acknowledging the goodness that we have right now and being able to accept and receive the abundance that life has to offer for us onwards moving yes. forward in our lives. Thank you for your benediction. Here's to a year of abundance and calling in transformation. Okay. Oh, it's the transformation for us. Okay. Eh. <laughs> A very special thanks to producer Terrence Walker for the magnificent production of this episode and all the other episodes, too. Thanks to the team of worker owners at the Housing Justice Collective, Riviana, Nikki, Josephine, Kevin. I can't imagine working through this work with without you. And we would like to thank Funders for Housing Opportunity and Oliva, as always, for letting us experiment in the ways that might help move us collectively toward transformation. Follow us at housingjusticecollective.com. Check out Trey Ward's music on all streaming platforms. 
and subscribe to the Alchemy of Housing Justice podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.